All right, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, chapter 2. I'd invite you to turn there. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 4 of this chapter. And I'd like to read it for us as we begin. <laughs> we must pay, mo pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we have heard this morning in this passage of Scripture, it is a word that we need to listen to. And Father, I pray that you would help us today to do that, both in this time, but as we think about it, as we leave this place, that we would consider our relationship with you and to make sure that you are first, that you're the priority and we are second. And Father, I thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you continue to work at us to make us more and more like your Son. In his name we pray, amen. Well, this summer, uh, Gail and I had an opportunity to have our whole family together for a summer vacation. We had a week where we went up north to a cabin, did some fishing, had some fun, and doing some different activities with the kids. And uh, as part of that, there was one day when um, Matt and Deborah, Matt's our oldest son, and Deborah's wife went out uh, fishing by themselves along with their youngest daughter. And I have a couple of pictures to show you as they were coming back uh, to the uh, dock, uh, Deborah wanted to try and, you know, bring in this pontoon boat and bring it up to the dock. And so you see this picture of Matt there as he's trying to, you know, guide her, you know, he's like a little bit more this way, a little bit more. And there you see Penny, their youngest daughter on the front, you know, cheering, go mom, go mom, you know, you can do this. And the next picture, you see it's a little bit more and Matt's like, just, just a little bit more this way. And Penny's looking, you know, is that the dock? Are we going to be okay? And then in this third picture, uh, it's Matt driving and <laughs> Deborah sitting on the side as it, no. Now, I, I share that because if any of you have tried to, you know, bring a pontoon boat into a dock, if there's a crosswind or you're being carried another direction, it can be a little tricky. I mean, you need to pay careful attention because it's really easy to drift with a boat that is big. We've also seen what happens in the news when a captain of a ship doesn't pay attention. Uh, you've seen this picture. That's the Costa Concordia that ran aground in the Mediterranean when the captain went off of course. And that boat was gashed by the rocks and 4,000 people had to be evacuated and sadly, 32 people died on board that ship. Running off course, drifting just a little bit too far one way or the other can be very serious. And when I think about this scripture here, Sailing in the Mediterranean has always been dangerous. And the writer of Scripture here uses this analogy of, of drifting. A ship that's drifting off course is a warning. I mean, a ship in those days could be blown off course and miss its harbor, 
could be caught up in a storm. We read about that in the book of Acts when Paul was on board this ship that got caught up in what would be like a northeaster to us or a hurricane there in the, you know, in the Mediterranean, and it was blowing, and they couldn't do a thing about that. They had to simply run with the storm. Sometimes an anchor would come loose on a ship, and it could be carried into the rocks and crash against it and sink. Those are serious things. And so the writer of Hebrews uses this image to say that the same thing can happen to us in our relationship with God. The author of Hebrews is a preacher at heart. He's concerned about his people. And he has spoken in chapter 1 and talked about the glories and the excellencies of Christ. He's talked about how Christ is more excellent than the prophets, how he is greater than the angels, how he is God's final word the one and only Son of God. And in chapter 2, he gives us the first of five warnings that will occur in this book. And the warning is to pay careful attention to what we have heard. He's concerned about this church. And again, we talked about the setting, that it's probably a house church or group of believers meeting in Rome. It's just at the time of the persecution that's going to start under Nero. Christians are being expelled from their homes and from their worship in the synagogue because of the conflict that was going on. And he's wondering what's going to happen to them. How will they respond to suffering and persecution? Will they stand firm or will they drift away? And his argument here, as we read, goes from the lesser to the greater. He says, if the message that was spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? He's saying that if the law that was given through the mediation of angels was binding on us and we paid careful attention to that and every disobedience was punished, then how much more important is it for us to listen to the message that was given through the Son? And what was that message? Well, that message is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that there is salvation in no one else other than Jesus, but there is a way that we can be right with God through faith in Him. And if that is ignored, what hope do we have? We have none. If the gospel is ignored, there is no hope. But I think one of the things that's important for us to notice in this text is that he is writing to Christians and saying that. He's not talking to the world at large out there and saying, you know, you need to pay attention to this. No, this is the sermon. This is addressed to believers or at least professing Christians. And this is a warning to us to pay careful attention to our faith so that we do not drift away from Christ. How does that happen? Why do people drift? Why do people get off course in their relationship with Christ and what can we do to prevent it? That's what I want us to think about this morning. And there are four common ways that people drift in their faith and that's what we're going to look at. Number one, Some people drift away over time. The time is one of those things that uh, we notice. Over time, 
our love for Christ can grow cold if it is not tended. It's like a fire in a fireplace. I mean, if you throw some logs in a fireplace and you get that fire going, you know, it looks great and beautiful at the beginning as it kind of fills up the fireplace and the heat is nice and warm and you can enjoy it. But if you just let it go, what's going to happen? It's going to burn out. If you don't tend it and throw another log on the fire or keep things going, it's going to grow cold. And that can happen spiritually. All of us know people who were once in the church, they started strong, they made a profession of faith, and they're no longer walking with Christ. And that's just so sad to see. I mean, sadly, you know, I've heard stories like this from you who have shared with me. Sometimes it's the person who led you to Christ who's no longer walking with the Lord the way they once did. And you go, what's up with that? Uh, Sometimes it's a a friend, maybe from college or high school, that was part of that student ministry or youth group or college ministry that you were a part of, and you go, they're just not walking with the Lord anymore. And sadly, it may even be your children, and it breaks your heart because you brought them to church, and they heard the gospel, and they were part of what was going on here, and today, they're not where they should be. And you wonder, God, what happened? What's going on? It's a reminder that all of us, every individual person needs to take ownership of their faith. And we are all accountable before God for how we use the opportunities that we have been given and what we do with them. We know from Scripture that it is possible for even Christians to lose their first love. We see that in the book of Revelation when Jesus spoke this word to the church in Ephesus that had lost their first love. And he said to them, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now think about that. I mean, last year we spent a good chunk of the year going through the letter to the Ephesians. And we saw that that church in Ephesus was a model church. I mean, they were to be commended for the things that they were doing. They got this. They had great teachers, great leaders that were there over time. Paul spent time there. Timothy was there. There were others. And that will continue. Paul's letter was written around the year AD 60. When John wrote the Revelation, it's... In the 90s, it's around the year 80, 90, so 30 years have passed. And there's this warning, you've lost your first lot. And that, that's pretty sobering. I mean, I'm thinking about us. We're 30 years old as a church. What would Jesus say to us? And how do we keep that fire for Christ burning in our heart? And stay on track, stay on mission with all that he's called us to do. It's a warning that it can happen. Early in my Christian life, I read a small booklet. It was published by the Navigators, and it was called Many Aspire, Few Attain. Walter Henriksen was the author. And he talked about this very issue, how there are many people who, you know, in their youth, they make a commitment to Christ, they're on fire for the Lord, you know, and they're out there. And sometimes part of it can be the idealism of youth, or they're excited, they want to make a difference, they're excited about this cause or what they're going to do. 
And then they leave college, get married, start a family, get into the business, career, homes, stuff, other things, and over time they drift. And they fall away. And what Walter Hendrickson was saying is that, you know, you can find people that once were on fire for Christ, but rare is the person who carries that passion into their 40s, 50s, and beyond. Those who walk with God all their life are really my heroes in the faith. And I think about those of you, you know, and I look out in our congregation and I see those of you who have been part of the church for so long and who are just examples to others by the way that you live, by your heart for serving, your love for Christ, your love for children or students, and you're engaged in serving and helping others. We need that. I thank God for men who have been in ministry that have been examples to me, men like Billy Graham or Bill Bright. Or I think of a district superintendent I had when I was just starting out at the church here, LaRue Thorwall, who was so available I could call him, talk to him about things that were going on and ask questions. I'm a young pastor. I need direction. I need help and encouragement, and he was there. Or I think of Dr. Walter Kaiser, my mentor and friend from Trinity, And all of us, we need those examples of people who are in front of us showing us how to live and literally, when it comes to that point in our life, showing us how to die. How to die with grace and courage and confidence in the Lord. We need one another. And the only way that you keep that passion alive and strong is by paying careful attention to your faith. Secondly, some people drift away because of familiarity with the truth. And this is the danger of treating sacred things as common. This summer, we spent some time in the book of Malachi, in the Minor Prophets. And do you remember why God rebuked the priests and the people in that book? God rebuked them because they were treating him with contempt. And here's what was going on again. Remember, the priests considered their work a burden. Ah, you know, all these people we got to care for, you know, a little bit like that video you were showing, all these problems, you know, we got to deal with. And you think of them with the sacrifices and the work, and, and they had come to the point where they were considering this a burden. It was wearying to them. And they had lost their focus on the privilege of ministry, on who they were serving, the Lord, God himself, and the great calling they had. And the people, well, they were giving God leftovers. They too were half-hearted in their worship. They were bringing to God in their offerings the blind, the crippled, the diseased from their flock, giving God whatever they really didn't want and thinking that would be good enough. And it wasn't. And God rebuked them. He said, I would rather have you just shut the doors to the temple than to continue this kind of hypocrisy. God does not want half-hearted followers. He wants us to give our heart fully to him. And when I look at this, I think, you know, there, there is at times a danger growing up in the church and in a Christian family where you can think you are in because, well, mom and dad went to church. Or you can take for granted what you have 
You can hear the gospel, think you are a Christian, think you've given your heart to him, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never wholly given him all of you. You've given him maybe a part or a little bit or said, well, God, you can have this or I'll give you this time, but not this other area. And God wants all of us. That's why when we were raising our sons and we were thinking about what it is that we wanted for them, we wanted them to have a firsthand experience of Jesus Christ. We didn't want them to ride the coattails, if you will, of their parents. And to just think that that's all you need to do. You grow up in church, you're a Christian, isn't that it? And because of that, we were really wanting to have them um, have experiences that would stretch their faith. We encouraged them to work up at Camp Shamina in the summers. We encourage them to go on mission trips, to get out of their comfort zone, to see God use them where their faith would have to be their own because mom and dad weren't there. And I'm so grateful for those of you that have worked in our children's ministry and our student ministry who loved our sons and encouraged them in their walk with God and who were examples to them. I'm grateful for the men in our church that our sons could look at and say, you know, it wasn't just dad saying you need to trust in Christ or walk with him, but they saw other men in our church who were doing that very same thing. And all of that was important for them to see. We need that. We need our kids to be stretched. We need them to take risks and take steps of faith and to see God work in their life if their experience with the living God is going to be that kind of first chair experience. But what about us? We need that too. And if your love for Christ is growing cold or you feel like your walk with God has become boring and it's not where it should be, then it may be time for you to step out in faith as well and to trust him and to get involved in terms of serving and giving and praying and ministering to others in an area that's going to stretch you and you will see God work. Thirdly, some drift away because of busyness. And frankly, I think this is one of the major problems today. It's a major problem that is hurting marriages and families and our relationship with God. We're just too busy. You know, there are times when uh, couples come, they share with me what's going on in their life, and I just hear how they're running here and there, and they're not having time to gather as a couple. And we need that. We need those times to, to talk. We need the times to laugh together, to do something fun, to build our relationship. And in our relationship with God, we need time where we are just quiet before him. We're in his word. We're not hurried. We're not rushed. We can come before God and we can listen. In this generation, we suffer from information overload. And I think we're becoming a nation of skimmers. I mean, I, I see that myself and I have to catch myself sometimes. It's like, you know, so many emails, so many things come on Twitter, so much information and all of these kind of things. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to know out of this? You know, and I go, I mean, don't you find yourself doing that sometimes? 
and you're reading or, or you get news and news might come from, you know, the internet or a newspaper or television or all that and you catch bits and pieces of it and you kind of, you know, are trying to follow what's going on. And we skim. And the sad thing can happen is that we can start to do that in our relationship with God too. It's like we sit down, we have a quiet time. Okay, I got, I got 10 minutes today. I got to do this. And we just, we go through it. Where's the quiet time? Where's the time to slow down and listen and be with God? Where's the time to maybe go for a walk with God and talk to him? I intentionally need to do that. I need to set aside time. I need to slow down. I need to walk with God. And talk about how is it going in my relationship with him. And to pray for my family. And to pray for my wife. And to pray for our church. You know, it doesn't seem to matter what age you are. I mean, I see kids that are busy today. I see students that are busy and running all the time. I see parents who are busy, even grandparents who keep telling me that they're so busy, they don't know what they did when they were working. You know, now that they're retired, they've got even more things to do. We fill up our day, but are we doing what is most important? The danger is that all of our busyness, even doing good things, can keep us from following Christ. There's no time left for God. You know, I think I shared this before, but you know how across the country, church attendance is down, even among those who are deeply committed. And I went back and I looked at our attendance patterns over the last 30 years, and you know, we averaged between 500 and 550 on a Sunday morning. And yet every year we've grown as a church in terms of new members and those who would consider this to be their church. And what I noticed was that if we were attending church with the same frequency that we did in the 90s, our attendance would be around 785 on a Sunday morning, 57% higher. That's staggering to me. I mean, why aren't we attending as often? Well, I don't think it's because you are less committed. I think what's happening here across the board is that, you know, more people are traveling. We've got snowbirds who go south in the winter. We've got uh, people going to see their grandkids. There's more affluence. We've come out of the last recession, and so people have more things that they're thinking about for parents, traveling teams, sports, if your kids are involved with that, or filling up weekends. But there is also some of where there's a loss of the cultural expectation of going to church. And for some, it's just not as high a priority. We've noticed that Wednesday nights are more consistent in attendance among our youth than Sunday morning. And that's a change. And so the midweek people are here more consistently than on the weekend. And I don't know if that's, if that's going to change. That's a trend that's taking place. But I do, as a pastor, I look at that and I get concerned and I say, hey, we need to keep fellowshipping together. We need to meet together for worship. We need one another. Now, I know many of you tell me, and I'm grateful for this, that if you miss a Sunday, you're listening online and you're staying in the series on the sermon. And that's a wonderful use of the internet and the website and being able to do those kind of things because then you're keeping connected that way at least. 
but we need that time together face to face. So think about your own life. What about you? Are you too busy to read your Bible and pray? You find yourself sometimes feeling too busy to go to church? You just want to sleep in? Are you too busy to spend time with your spouse or to have that time where you are connecting or with your kids? Are you too busy for God? You know, it's not a totally new problem. Jesus gave this warning in the parable of the sower. When he said, and he talked about, um, he said, still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. That's the real concern that people will get so caught up in the things of this life and the desire to, you know, just have a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and the pursuit of those things that can choke the word and make it unfruitful. A fourth warning, it's the danger of carelessness. C.S. Lewis asked the question, if you examine 100 people who had lost their faith in Christ, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by an honest argument. Most people do not choose to reject Christ, they just slowly drift away. I mean, here he is, and he's writing in that World War II era about these kinds of things, and he's saying even then, you know, that most people don't just one day say, you know, I'm not going to believe in Jesus. They just get caught up in other things. They just get careless and drift away. I was looking at a study that was done, for example, on um, airline, excuse me, on small plane pilots. And this was interesting that back uh, around 2009, there had been a rash of flying accidents for single-engine planes that occurred across this country. And so Cirrus decided to do a study of 44 recent fatal accidents involving their aircraft. And a few lessons stood out. They said, first, all but one of the accidents listed pilot-related causes. So generally, that's the problem. It's pilot-related. And second, and most surprising, experienced pilots were responsible for a majority of the accidents. A few of the accidents were caused by pilots with less than 150 hours of flight time, but over 75% of the accidents were caused by pilots with over 400 hours of flight time. And what was happening was that apparently these pilots assumed because they already had lots of hours under their belts, they kind of knew the checklist and they really maybe didn't pay as careful attention to it as they should have. Whereas a younger pilot who's like learning all these things is like going by the book. Man, I want to make sure this, okay, okay, okay. They're going down the checklist on every single thing, making sure that this plane is ready to fly before they take off. Their familiarity with flying, the length of time that they had been doing it, the number of hours that they had put in caused them to be just a little too careless before taking off and that carelessness can be deadly and I think about that for us as believers I mean I think about individuals what C.S. Lewis is saying here where they didn't 
reject Christ. They just got a little bit careless in there. And they just stopped reading their Bible. They just stopped going to church and it became a habit. Uh, They maybe stopped praying except when they needed something. They just stopped worshiping. And their love for God grew cold. That's what the writer of Hebrews is worried about. That's why toward the end of this message, he's going to say, let's not forsake assembling together. But let's do it all the more as we see the time approaching when the Lord is drawing near. We need one another to keep that passion for Christ strong. And that's a message for children, youth, adults of all ages. And then he gives this warning. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? We can't. I mean, if we uh, take for granted the gospel or we make this profession of Christ and then we kind of get caught up in all these other things, what are we saying to God by our actions? Aren't we really saying to him that we don't really love you, but we'd sure like it if you'd let us into your heaven? You know, I mean, aren't we kind of sending a mixed message like that if we're not following him? So what's the answer? The answer is here in verse 1. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And he talks about this great salvation that we have been given. This salvation was first announced by the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. This great salvation that Jesus Christ himself brought to us when he called people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he called people to follow him and he would make them fishers of men and they would become disciples of his. It was confirmed by the apostles who in turn would lay down their lives for the truth of the gospel to bring us that message of salvation. And it was testified to by God himself through these things that he described as signs and wonders and various miracles that confirmed that this message was not of human origin. It was from God himself. And then he says, consider what a great gift we have been given. Listen to it and live by it. Put it into practice in your life. Now let me ask you this question. As you think about this list of dangers that can get us drifting, which is the one that tends to trip you up most? Time? Have you lost your first love? Familiarity? Treating holy things as common. Busyness? No time for God? Carelessness? Not a priority. Not important. You know, there are probably times when all of us can be affected by any of those things. So what will you and I do differently? And how will we keep him first in our heart? Remember, repent, and do the things you did at first. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you and we hear a message that's really a warning, it's important that we don't just shrug it off and say, Everything's fine. But instead, Father, I pray that we would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. 
And maybe it's going to be after this morning. Maybe it's going to be this week where we just sit down and we have an extended time with you. And where we can talk as a father and child and say, God, how is it between us? How's my heart? How's my attitude? And Father, these are the things that I need to work on. And Lord, I pray that all of us would be honest with you and that you would tenderly and lovingly speak to us. You are so patient and forgiving. Father, we want to keep you at the center of our heart. Lord Jesus, help us to do that. Amen.